the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, we see the tribe of Dan stealing and murdering in clear disobedience to God, but still thinking they are experiencing blessing. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 18, verse 17. Once again, that's Judges chapter 18, verse 17. Verse 17. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither, and they took the graven image and the ephod, the teraphim, the molten image. And the priest, he's just hanging out with the army in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these, the spies, they went into Micah's house, and they fetched the carved image, the ephod, the teraphim, and the molten, the metal image, And so when the priest figures out what's finally going on, he says, what are you doing? When it becomes clear what's going on, the Levite protests. But the scouts make him a proposal, verse 19. And they said unto him, hold your peace, which means be quiet, don't do anything stupid. Lay your hand upon your mouth and go with us. Don't tell anybody. Don't do anything dumb here. There's an opportunity for you right now. Go with us. Be to us a father and a priest. You know, isn't that interesting? That's the same language Micah used. Micah came to him and said, be my spiritual caregiver. Be the one who ministers to us. Be the one who blesses my family. Well, now they offer him the same thing. Be our spiritual caregiver. And then they sweeten the pot. Is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man or that you be a priest unto an entire tribe, a whole family in Israel? Be a mediator between us and God. You can be so much more, Mr. Levite. Think about it, man. You're a Levite. You don't belong here. Come with us and you'll be the spiritual leader of an entire tribe. Now, This proposal is so very wrong, but it's not limited to the time of the judges. You remember the man, Simon the sorcerer, who offered money to Peter for the ability to give people the Holy Spirit? There's nothing isolated here. When we study the history of the church during the Dark Ages, we see that church offices, the bishops, the position of senior pastor and the most prevalent churches, these positions were given to those who offered the most money. Today, I have heard of churches, and I know the one that did it here in Orlando, who they do exploratory services is what they call them. We're going to come down here and we're going to do services for a month and see how many people come to gauge interest. 
before they decide to plant a church. Whatever happened to just hearing God's voice and doing what he said? But you know, it's easy to point the finger at those egregious things. Let's make it a bit more personal. How about when a Christian starts dating before their divorce has gone through? Or when Christians try to hook up a friend because their friend's marriage seems hopeless? Or when sin is justified because, well, God knows my heart. Then it hits a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? I have heard some of the most abominable proposals, counsel, come from the mouth of those who claim to love Jesus. How could this priest entertain this proposal when the people suggesting it are in the midst of an act of robbery? How on earth could he think that was the Lord? Well, to be honest, the same way any of us go down an attractive path that God forbids. We ignore scripture and we let our own heart guide us. Verse 20, and the priest's heart was glad. And so he took the ephod, the teraphim, and the graven image, and he went in the midst of the people. So they turned and they departed from Micah's village. And they put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage in the front. They're frolicking down the road. The Levites' protests turn into a celebration because he'll end up getting a cut of the stolen goods. That sounds like a great idea. That must be God. And here we see that it wasn't just 600 soldiers. Their families are with them. And so as the scene ends here and they leave Micah's village, we cue the beautiful music with rejoicing and hugging and happy families and frolicking children heading off into the sunset for the new frontier. We've got our own priest now. Isn't God good? And they all lived happily ever after, right? If you're creeped out by this touching ending, good. But again, as I thought about those things, I was convicted because I can read this and point the finger and say how awful, how creepy but I have to ask myself a question. What do I view as beautiful that God calls evil? What do we view in our current church culture as a beautiful picture that God calls evil? In Isaiah chapter five, verses 20 and 21, Isaiah prophesying to the people said, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Because God alone is good, we can never call something that he says is not good, good. You know, one of the ways that we translate good in the Old Testament, is the word beautiful. Like it talks about David, how he was a goodly lad. It means he was a handsome boy. He was an attractive young man. So when we call something beautiful that God calls evil, we're calling something good when he has no part in it. So let's not call something beautiful that God calls evil just because it seems beautiful in our eyes. 
Now, of course, the obvious question is, where is Micah when all this is going on? Where is he? doesn't tell us. But it does tell us what happens when he comes home, verse 22. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the tribe of Dan, with all their kids frolicking into the sunset, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together. The phrase were gathered together means they were called to help. So Micah, when he got home, found out what happened. He summoned the neighbors to come and help him get his stuff back. And they overtook the children of Dan. They eventually caught up to the children of Dan. Now, it doesn't tell us again who called him to help, but it's implied that Micah's the one that does this because he's leading the group. Verse 23. And they cried unto the children of Dan, what are you doing? And the tribe of Dan turns to them and feigns innocence. They said unto Micah, what ails you that you come with us with such a company? The phrase of what ails you, what What's wrong with you? Why are you chasing us down with your little village army? Only the priest was present to witness the theft. But Micah was not going to let them off the hook that easy. Verse 24. Micah said to them, You have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and you are gone away. And what have I more? What is it that you say to me? What ails you? First off, I would like to point out it's always a sad thing when your gods can be stolen from you. That's only possible when your gods are your creation. No one can take Jesus from me. No one can. It's why the gates of hell never prevail against the church. It's why the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church. You can never snuff out something by burning scriptures or forbidding scriptures or forbidding from meeting or whatever, making it against the law to be a Christian. You can never kill it because he's in here. Because we didn't make him. He made us. Micah says, you took my gods. You took my priest. And what have I more? Literally, it means I have nothing left. Micah reveals the wickedness of his heart in all of these statements. You have nothing left, Micah? You have a family. You have a home. You have a God who still loves you. But see, none of that mattered to him, did it? He had been striving for prosperity his entire life, despite the riches he already had. And that led him to steal from his mother, to worship idols, to ignore God's commands, and then push aside his son when someone more qualified came over. I do find it ironic that the man who stole from his mother protests theft against himself. That the man who had zero loyalty to his son decries the priest's disloyalty. And I do believe that if Micah had been stronger, he would have threatened just like the Danites now threaten him in verse 25. And the children of Dan said unto him, let not your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Angry fellows, it means men who are desperate, men on the verge of perishing. And people say the scriptures aren't appropriate. They're not relevant. They said, don't say anything else. Because if you continue to talk, we are desperate men, Micah. The word run upon means we will strike you. We will strike you. And you will lose your life. We'll kill your entire family. So back down, buddy. The Danites were desperate. 
They had been pushed to the brink by the Philistines, and no one was going to stop them from securing their best life now, especially not this punk. And that's the problem with everyone having their own truth. No one, I cannot say this enough, when everyone has their own truth, no one has the moral ground. No one. If truth comes from in here, then no one has the moral ground. For who is to stop you from living out your truth if it infringes upon my truth? The answer is no one. No one. Because there is no external moral ground. Disputes will always be settled by those with more power, more influence, more will, or more opportunity. Now, as we say goodbye to Micah, for it mentions here that when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. As we say goodbye to Micah, we must bring up that his life is a sad illustration of sowing and reaping. All of Micah's sin, all of Micah's compromise came back upon him, just like God promises in his word. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Micah didn't have these verses, but the principle already existed in the law of Moses. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, 7. For he, verse 8, that sows to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. It will never last. It will rot eventually. But he that sows to the Spirit, Spiritual things, eternal things, godly things shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's the good news of this promise. I mean, we hear about that, sow to the flesh and reap corruption. That's true. That's the bad news of this promise. But there's good news in this promise that if we sow spiritual things, righteous things, then we reap eternal things, good things. Let's be those who plant spiritual things. Amen? Well, verse 27, eventually Dan makes their way to Laish. And they took the things that Micah had made and the priest which he had, and they came unto Laish, unto a people that were quiet and secure. And the tribe of Dan smote them with the edge of the sword, and they burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, no one who could rescue the people of Laish, because it was far from Zidon, and they had no business, no mutual defense pact with any man. And it was in the valley that lies by Beth Rehob. And so the tribe of Dan built a city and they dwelt there. And they called the name of the city, they weren't very creative, Dan. After the name of Dan, their father, who was born unto Israel. Howbeit, the name of the city was Laish at the first. Now, that's where we're to get the phrase in the Old Testament, from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was the northernmost city that was ever occupied by Israel. And then Beersheba, of course, was the southernmost, way down in the desert. So Dan now has a city all to themselves. They call it after the name of their tribe. And this part of Dan that left settles down there. Success, right? I mean, that's, that's how the world would view it. Success. But it depends on how you define success. If success is gaining your best life now at the expense of your relationship with God, well, then it was a success. 
But we know the scripture doesn't define success that way, right? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle writing about his own life. He was in jail at the moment. Writing about his own life. And he compares how he'd been critiqued by those who were false teachers. Those who were of the circumcision. The legalists. And he explains something. He goes, if we want to compare success. If they want to say that they've been more successful. I'm in jail. You should listen to them. Don't listen to me. Well, let's compare success in the way that they compare success. For he says in verse 4 of Philippians 3, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks that he has whereof he may trust in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And concerning God's law, I'm a Pharisee, man. I'm more dedicated to God's law than anybody else out there. Concerning zeal, man, I persecuted the church. And touching the righteousness which was in the law, no one could have accused me of anything. I was blameless. I was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the most respected people in the Jewish community. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's success. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. What success? That I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he goes further. What does that mean? That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know, he tells them later on in this same chapter in verse 17, he says, brethren, imitate me. Do that kind of life and mark those that walk so as you have us for an example. Look at those who are doing the same thing. That their definition of success is knowing Jesus, of walking with Jesus, whatever it costs them otherwise. For in verse 18, he says, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that now they're the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame because they mind earthly things. Guys, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change this vile body, our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even able to subdue all things unto himself. That's what we're shooting for. That's what Dan forgot. And as a result, Dan becomes a center of idolatry in the nation of Israel. Look at these last two verses in Judges 18. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, 
He and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Now, before we get to the idolatry of the tribe of Dan, we finally get a name for our Levite friend here. Jonathan, the son of Gershom. King James Bible says the son of Manasseh. If the name Gershom sounds familiar, it should. Moses had a son named Gershom. And there is only one letter difference between Moses and Manasseh. It's the letter N or Nun in Hebrew. And all the ancient manuscripts do not say Manasseh. They all say Moses. This Levite, the reason it's very likely they recognized his voice, he was Moses' grandson. Moses' grandson, the leader of idolatry. The guy who left his assigned lot because he was looking for a better life. And the legacy of Moses, unfortunately, was not something that the Jewish scribes of the Masoretic text wanted to tarnish. And so the King James Bible, which is based on the Masoretic text, which is written around 900 AD, they changed one letter from Moses and put the N in the middle to make it, a noon in the middle to make it Manasseh, so that Moses would not be thought of in a negative light. Now, is it Moses' fault that his grandson became an idolater? Not at all. But it is a very sad testimony, a very sad one indeed. Now, Dan becomes a center for idolatry in Israel from this day forward. When Jeroboam became king, he set up one of the golden calves that he made because he didn't want the people of Israel going back to Jerusalem, back to Judah to worship because he felt like they would think, well, maybe serving the sons of David isn't that bad. And then they'd revolt against him and kill him and then reunite the country. So Jeroboam said, no, I'm setting up two new temples in the north, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And he made golden calves and he said to Israel, here, O Israel, is your God that has brought you out of Egypt. Well, he didn't just pick Dan for his location. Dan was already doing all of that. And they did it, it says here, until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, that is not referring to the Babylonian captivity because the writer of Judges would have been long dead by the time the Babylonian captivity came around. But what this tells us here is that it was this way in Dan all the time that the tabernacle was in Shiloh. The tabernacle was in Shiloh for 300 years after this event. This means that the tribe of Dan never needed to come down to the tabernacle to worship the Lord. For 300 years, these people were cut off from God, thinking all the while that they were worshiping him. How many generations of this part of the tribe of Dan received the shock of judgment upon death, thinking all the while they were headed to heaven? Now I say that not to condemn any of you. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. But we are told to make our calling and our election sure. 
The word sure means to firm up, to stabilize, to validate. It means that I should do spiritual check-ins with God on a regular basis so this horrible story of Judges 18 never repeats itself in my life. Now, if you're doing those spiritual check-ins, then don't fear. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He gives grace to the humble, amen? We don't have to fear losing our salvation. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I would say to you, if you haven't been doing those check-ins, or you've been following your heart instead of God's word, then it's time to schedule an appointment. It's time to repent. Because if your focus, like the tribe of Dan, is on finding your best life now, rather than seeking God's ways, then it is indeed time to repent. So let's examine ourselves. See if we're in the faith so that we can grow, that we can mature. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, even though this is a bizarre story, Lord. And and the crazy thing is with the remaining part of Judges, it gets even more bizarre. So Lord, you have called us to do regular checkups, to come for regular examinations with you. And thank you, Lord, that you are more than able to get us on the right path and finish what you've started in us. We love you, and we thank you that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. We welcome your leading in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.